Turn again to Ephesians 5. We'll begin reading with verse 21. Read to the end of the chapter. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh." This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Our text tonight is 28 and 29. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, With this text, the Apostle continues not only his instruction to husbands about how they must live with their wives, their calling toward their wives, namely to love their wife, but he strengthens and expands upon that instruction. As I mentioned earlier, the instruction to the man is much more lengthy and much more detailed with the man as it is the woman. And that by itself is important. And now we can look more closely as to why that is. The answer to that question, should you ask it, and surprisingly few do, 
It is surprising how many of us men know precisely where to find the few verses that command our wives to submit to our authority as husbands, but can't find the instruction about loving our wife, or when we do find it, we look at it and say, oh, that's all. Well, the length of this section shows that it is far more extensive and important than you think. And the reason is Christ. What we learned earlier is that the husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. And we learned that Christ expressed his love for the church by giving himself to the church. And then we learned that he gave himself to the church to sanctify it. That is, to make the church pure and holy. To put it another way, he did that so that the church would follow his will. Or to put it another way, he did it so that the church would submit to him. What do we learn here? What we learn is that it is the love of the husband, even as it is the love of Christ, that explains and is the power of the wife's submission to him. That's the way it works in the church. The reason the church submits to Christ is not simply that he is its Lord and husband, but it's to be explained in his giving, his love of the church, whereby he sanctifies the church. That's instructive then for the husband. If you want to know why the Scriptures spend so much time on the husband, even further explaining what this love is all about, the answer is because the wife's submission to the husband, her duty, her calling, flows out of the calling of the husband. His calling is first. It is primary. It is foundational. So much is this true that one is almost tempted, almost tempted, when there are marital problems and infighting and trouble. And the instinct is to say we need some marital counseling here. That is, we need some mutually custom of husband and wife. We need to instruct them both on what their calling is. And certainly if one would ask a few questions, one would find out there are plenty of sins on both sides, husband and wife against each other. But one could and probably should simply just begin with the husband. For the husband does indeed bear responsibility for the wife. And often, often, more often than you think, when there is sin on the part of the wife, lack of submission maybe, the reason is the husband does not love his wife and is not carrying out the calling of the text to nourish and cherish her. That's what we're going to consider 
tonight, the husband's calling to nourish his wife, nourishing our wives. And we're going to look at that calling first, then the ground, and finally the power for that calling. Now, first of all, I want to set the text up by expanding on what I just said, that the apostle is developing the husband's calling here. That calling was stated very simply in the beginning of this section as husbands, love your wives. Now, in that, the apostle did not give any content. He didn't really tell us how to love our wives. Didn't really set forth what that love is all about except to say two things. Love your wives as Christ loves the church, which loads it full of content. And then he especially concentrates on the one thing Christ did in his love for the church, which is give himself. So we learned that love is an attitude toward the wife that is Christ-like. It is not only an emotional thing, a matter of the heart, which it is, a desire, a delight in one's wife, but it is to give one's self. Love is giving of self. So much so that one actually leaves oneself. One leaves oneself behind and gives himself entirely to his wife. That's what we learned. Then the apostle expanded on that. And he showed the purpose of a husband's love for his wife, which also is Christ-like in its pattern. Christ gave himself for the sanctifying of the church. And we took note, very importantly, that this is a text, a very important text that summarizes all of our salvation. Indeed, the very glory of the church as sanctification and roots that in the cross. It teaches that there's real power in the cross of Jesus Christ, in His death, in His atoning death, to change, to actually change people. And that essential change is to make them holy. That's what Christ gave Himself to do. And we focused on that. We did not focus so much upon the implication to the husband and wife. And that's where the apostle picks it up now. He is really developing that. But in short, what you may see is what I said in the introduction. That the husband's love for the wife is used by Christ for the good, the real good of the wife. Now in our passage, that's called the nourishment of the wife. And it's called cherishing the wife. To show that the apostle is developing what he said earlier about husbands loving your wife, 
simply look at that word cherish, all of us would recognize immediately that cherish and love are virtually synonymous, that they're virtually the same thing. That's the apostle, the Holy Spirit's signal. I'm talking now about love. That love that we said should be like Christ's love, and that life, that love that consisted of Christ giving himself to the church, I want to say one more thing about that which is that love requires the husband nourish his wife. Here too there is a correlation to Christ, one that we will set aside for a little bit and get to in a moment. But it is worth noting right at the outset that if you ask yourself how it is that Christ sanctifies the church, what does he do? How does it work, one could say, by nourishing the church. You see, that word nourish is virtually the same as the word to edify, uh, to build up, words that the apostle has used frequently in this passage when referring to the church. And now the apostle applies that same concept that same concept with regard to what Christ does for his church, basically nourish her and says, now you husbands nourish your wives likewise. Now what does nourish mean? Nourish is a very basic concept that we all ought to understand because we have many examples. Mothers nourishing little infants. Or a farmer nourishing his plants. And even us nourishing our own bodies that we do frequently throughout the day. To nourish is simply to provide what something needs to grow. To nourish implies life. Something is living. You don't nourish a dead thing. Nourishment to a dead thing doesn't do a single thing. Even with regard to the church, the fact that Christ nourishes the church implies it is already alive. We nourish things that are alive. But something about living things is taught us in nature itself, which is living things need to be tended. Living things need nourishment. Without nourishment, a living thing dies. So to nourish is to provide what something needs. We call those nutrients. Nutrients. That which something needs to live. And now it's worth pointing out immediately at this point, that to not nourish your wife is to kill her. That must be pointed out here with regard to that very word itself. We tend, we men do, not only to fool ourselves into thinking that we're nourishing our wife, when in fact we're not, 
Many a man who is actually destroying his wife, abusing his wife, oppressing his wife, hurting his wife, not only claims he loves her and is a liar about that, but far more frequently we simply neglect our wife. She is receiving no nourishment from us. Oh, we may not be abusing her and hurting her as such, but we're simply neglecting her and we husbands think We have carried out our calling, and there's no harm here. But again, as even nature itself shows, if you do not nourish a living thing, it dies. If a mother would have a newborn child and refuse to give that child the milk that it needs from her breasts, that child needs to either be taken away from that mother or that child will die. It needs that nourishment. A farmer, no farmer in his right mind, would plant trees. Plant trees, little saplings, and then just neglect them. Let the wind do whatever it would. Never prune them. Never fertilize them. Oh no, we all know that when a farmer plants a crop of corn, that a good deal of his work with regard to that corn is simply nourishing it. Even tilling the soil and breaking it up and getting rid of the weeds who would otherwise take the nourishment so that that plant can receive what it needs from the ground and from the air and from the sun to live. That's the calling to a husband. And if he neglects this calling, his wife dies. Understand that. It's built into the Word. Now how does a wife, or how does a husband nourish his wife? Well, number one, he has to care for all her physical needs. This text, all by itself, sets forth the calling to Christian husbands to provide for the material, physical well-being of their wife until death do them part, because that's how long marriage lasts. That's his calling. It's part of nourishment. The man that would neglect his wife with regard to her earthly, physical well-being is killing her. But now, even more so is this true with regard to her soul or spiritual well-being. And that is what the Apostle especially has in mind. He emphasizes that by bringing up that word cherish. Even the word love is a matter of the heart. I think we all would recognize that there's many, many people who have provided for their wife, maybe perhaps even excessively because they're not nourishing her spiritually that are in fact not loving their wives. People can do that with their children. They provide everything that their children need and far, far more. And you can look and say they don't love their children at all. Why? Because everybody understands, even the ungodly understand, that love is a matter of the heart. Love is an attitude. Love 
is what someone feels about another, and it's that which drives them then to do what they're supposed to do. And there's many people that do things, but there's not love behind it. And kids see that, by the way. If you do not love your children, and you're simply providing for them, nourishing them in a physical sense, they know that. They can sense it. This explains much of the rebellion and ungodliness among the youth of our day. If you ask yourself what's behind it, it's not that they learned this behavior as such. But they realized they weren't loved. They weren't loved by their mother and father. They weren't loved because of divorce and remarriage. Nourish. A husband nourishes his wife in the first place by sharing his heart. He nourishes his wife by telling her what's in his heart toward her. Unfortunately, in many husbands' heart is not what there ought to be toward their wife. And they know very well that they can't tell their wife that. They should. If they're honest with themselves, they should tell their wife, I really don't love you. But they don't. But now, assuming we actually love our wife, and we're committed to that, we're determined to do that, because we saw that's what love is. Love is a matter of the will, a matter of determination. The husband tells his wife that. I cherish you. I love you. I care for you. He encourages her in her calling. His is not the job to point out all the defects in her work and calling, which is what most husbands think their job often is. To point out what they didn't do or what they did wrong. No. No, your your calling is to encourage her, to nourish her, to strengthen her. Always surprising that there's men who would never nourish employees this way or encourage employees the way that they do their wives. For some reason, when they get home, a switch goes on, and the very notions of nourishing and caring for and encouraging and promoting and motivating employees they can't practice with their wife shows that it's not simply a matter of knowing, but it's a matter of love. A wife is nourished by her husband more than anything, however, when he speaks not his own word, but the word of God. That is, after all, how Christ nourishes his church, is it not? Should it be any different in a Christian marriage? It is the husband whose primary calling And I want to emphasize that primary calling to nourish his wife by providing to her the Word of God. To make the Word of God center in that home. To let everyone in the home know that this home is run, not by me. Not me, certainly as head and sovereign and Lord, 
but it's run by another Lord and another sovereign called Jesus Christ. He is king in this home. He is Lord in this home. And I submit to Him, and we will all submit to Him. He nourishes His wife when she is down, when she is weak, when she is afraid, when she's tired, with Himself, of course, with encouragement, of course, with sympathy, of course, but more than that, with God's Word. Here is what God's Word has to say to you. Listen to God's Word lift you up. Listen how Christ cares for you and what He thinks about you. That's how a husband nourishes his wife. A husband nourishes his wife by bringing her to church. By bringing her to a true church, a faithful church, where the Word of God is actually preached. Preached in all of its glory and all of its wonder. And he looks for the best nourishment for her. The husband who wants to nourish his wife doesn't dig around in the garbage dump for food. Doesn't say to himself, what food can I find that's acceptable? Wouldn't give his wife a steady diet of junk food and fast food, would you? No. The husband who loves his wife is going to look for the best food he can find. The best fare. The Word of God. In all of its wonder. In all of its glory. And say, honey, this is where we're going to dine. This is where we're going to eat Sabbath day after Sabbath day. And notice... Please, that this is part of cherishing one's wife. That word in the original that the Apostle adds, of course, is a variant, a form of love. We all recognize that, but it's a very special word. That word cherish literally means to bring someone close to warm them up, to give them warmth. It implies comfort. It implies that someone is extremely precious to you. Cherish is the first thing that you think of when you see a mother with a newborn baby and she grabs that baby and she holds it tight. She cherishes that baby. The apostle by that word is pointing out how special is the love of a husband for his wife. Yes, we're called to love one another. We're even called to nourish one another. The place where that happens is the church. The communion of the saints is a form of nourishment. And we are concerned about that. We will even say to one another, I love you. But there is nothing, nothing like a husband's love for his wife. It may be compared to any of the other kinds of love, nor the need to nourish his wife, therefore, either. Now we're going to go on to the ground for this. And here again is where the Apostle advances his argument and makes his point even stronger. He does not simply put content into what it means to love your wife so that there's no excuse 
No husband may claim, I love my wife, when he does not give himself to her. No husband may claim, I love my wife, when he isn't even interested in her sanctification. When he allows her to be threatened by danger, to do whatever she wants, no matter the danger to her physical body or her soul. No husband may say he loves his wife if he is not consciously nourishing her and see that as his work. Hard work. The problem with us husbands is we think it's easy. Easy. And from a certain viewpoint, it should be. Look at your wife. Look at her. But such is our sin. Such is our depravity. Such is our wickedness. That we can be married to the most loving, beautiful, perfect creature God brought to us with His very own hands and not love her. Neglect her. Such is our depravity that we're busy nourishing ourselves. We nourish ourselves with golf clubs. We nourish ourselves with money. We nourish ourselves with boats. We nourish ourselves with money. We, nur- we nourish ourselves fine. And we, we let our wife have the crumbs, of course. But we've neglected her soul. So the apostle strengthens the argument. And he makes it very strong. Why should we love our wives? The apostle could have said simply, well, Christ loves his wife, and you love Christ, do you not? He could have simply said, you're a follower of Christ, are you not? Well, then you treat your wife like he treats his wife. That should have been enough, but he adds something which ought to tell us it's pretty important because the previous argument is very, very powerful, is it not? Love your wife as your own body. You see the argument, right? What he's doing is he's making an argument from nature. The first argument was with regard to spiritual things. He appeals to Christ. He appeals to salvation. He appeals to spiritual matters. Now he goes to nature. And the argument is very simple. He's going to develop that in a bit too. We'll save that. But a husband and wife are one flesh. Such is the nature of marriage that it's akin to a body and a head. We saw that already in the book, did we not? With regard to our relationship to Christ. Marriage is a one flesh union. And so much is it one flesh that there are no more two, he says, but one flesh. Oh yes, there's two persons there. And there's two minds, two hearts, and two wills. But they function as one, like a body and a head. They function as one mind, one heart, one will. They function in one life. We'll expand on that in a bit. But the Apostle now says, I have an argument based on that. You're one flesh. Your wife is your body. And everyone knows that a man cares for his body. A man cares for his body. It's an argument from nature. And, and we're not talking simply about Christians here. The apostle isn't even arguing from, well, you Christian men take care of your body. No, everybody does. Every man. 
Every man that's ever lived has nourished his body. And as if that argument weren't strong enough, he adds a negative to even further strengthen it. And says, absolutely, so much is that true, no man ever yet hated his own body. What he's pointing out is the world over, a man, from the moment he's born, loves his body. He cares for his body. He's concerned about his body. He gives his body whatever it needs. He prepares his body for things that might be coming in the future. And he's always reacting to danger. He sees a danger. He avoids it. He doesn't abuse his body. He doesn't put things in his body that will harm his body. He loves his body. Now someone says, aha, that's not true with everybody. But you're right. Does that make the Word of God wrong? No. You have to understand what the Apostle's argument is. What he's talking about is every man in his right mind. Even we recognize that. There are creatures. And what's amazing is that often these are the same creatures who abuse their wives, who do not nourish their wives. They're often the same creatures. But there are men who do not love their bodies. They are like the Baal worshippers in the time of Elijah who jump on the altar and slash themselves. They are like the demoniacs in Jesus' time who would hurt themselves and throw themselves into the fire. They were so overcome by the power of demons. There are human beings like that. They give themselves to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, to fornication, to all kinds of things. And it destroys their body. And when we see that, even when the ungodly world sees that, they recognize that person really doesn't love themselves. They hate themselves. They're destroying themselves. That's the argument. And now he says, now let's apply that to you husbands. What husband should fail to nourish his wife, to not cherish her? And we all see that it happens all the time. It happens even in the church. Every one of us husbands is guilty of not nourishing our wife, not cherishing her. And what's this Word of God saying about that? What it's saying is, you're a monster. You're an animal when you do that. You're not in your right mind. That's what the Apostle's argument is. Just as if in nature, there's a man who will not care for his body, who does not love his body, we say, there's something wrong with that man. There's something seriously wrong with that man. So also the husband who does not nourish his wife or love his wife. You see, you see how serious it is now? You see the problem with us husbands? We look at this word and we think, how easy, how easy to love my wife. Certainly these few things here nourish her and she'll keep her going for a while. 
Or so dumb are we that we have almost completely destroyed our wife, either by abuse or neglect. And we look around and wonder what happened. Where did that come from? How come it is, how come it is that she doesn't love me? How, how come it is that she behaves the way it is? Why is it? Never looks at himself. You see, this is God's word, beloved, concerning our relationship to our wives, and it applies to everything. I am ashamed sometime by the attitude of members, even in the Protestant Reformed churches, over spousal abuse. And by that, I mean the shrug of the shoulder that looks at it even like a marital problem. Well, this is partly her fault. And we're talking about actual abuse. Not words of love and encouragement, but actual words that destroy and cut and wound. We're not even talking about neglect. What does this Word of God have to say about the man who even neglects his wife? Who does not provide her with the encouraging word, the I love you's let alone the Word of God. The Bible says that man's an animal. And don't think I'm overstating things here. The Apostle to Timothy reminds him that the individual that doesn't provide for his own family, even physically, is worse, worse than the heathen. Even the heathen take care of their own. How much more so then? When the one you neglect and you hurt is your own wife, your own body, your own flesh and blood. That is how you have to read this passage from the Word of God. Because that's the ground. The ground is from nature. She is husband, your own flesh. Are you a husband that is so foolish and so taken over by the devil that you would cut your own flesh? That you would inject your flesh with soul-destroying drugs? That you would drown your flesh in alcohol? Unfortunately, the answer to that is yes. But be that as it may, the answer can be no. No, I take care of my body. I jog. I watch my nutrition. Watch out for danger. And that man has to be asked, then why do you neglect your wife? Why do you not nourish her? Feed her and give her what she needs to live. Now, the apostle advances the argument still further as if that weren't enough. And again, it simply points to the stubbornness and the selfishness and the pride of us husbands. He brings up Christ. He doesn't simply say nourish and cherish your wife, but nourish your wife and cherish her as Christ. Now, I could have used that as the pattern. And it would be a good pattern. Right here is where we can strengthen what it means to nourish our wife. Because you've got to ask yourself, how is it that Christ nourishes the wife? And when you look at that, you realize, do you realize that virtually everything that goes on in the church is Christ nourishing the church. That's what it is. 
That's what a church is. That's what the church should be. The place where you are nourished by Christ. Simply look at the Word. How much does Christ cherish His church? He nourishes her. What does He nourish her with? The everlasting Word. Look how He gave the Word. How He preserved the Word. How the Word was spoken. Then it was written down. Then it was given to us in the canon. It was even translated in our own language. And then, and then, He preaches it. Did we not just read that a little bit ago? In an earlier chapter, that He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists and teachers to do what? To nourish the church. He gives ministers for the nourishment of you. He gives you elders to nourish you. He gives you deacons to nourish you. One entire sacrament screams nourishment. What is it? Literally, nourishment. So weak is our faith sometime that we cannot listen to the Word. So Christ says, I'll even accommodate that weak faith and I'll give you nourishment in the form of bread and wine, my broken body and shed blood. Nourishment. How does He nourish the church? Well, in that Word, He speaks kindly to us. Oh, from time to time. He rebukes us, sometimes very sharply. But that Word... Even that Word is nourishment. Even that Word comes in love. And if it didn't, you'd all leave, wouldn't you? And yet, yet we can't speak to our wife that way. When we bring a word of correction, it comes harshly. comes sharply in a way that's clear to all. It's unloving. And we wonder why. But that's not how Christ teaches us. Simply dwell on all the ways Christ nourishes you. He speaks to you even in prayer. He speaks to you in your daily life, right to your heart. He injects, as it were, that nourishment right into your heart. And you know when you're being nourished. Have you ever had that where you're weak, feeble of knees, don't want to go on? And what happens? You hear Christ speak. He speaks His Word. Speak His word of comfort and love, and what happens? You're strengthened. You're lifted up. Now the point of the apostle here is not so much as an example, although it is. It ought to be the primary example for us. Not what the world thinks is nourishment. Not what the marriage counselor thinks is nourishment. Not even what the wife thinks is nourishment. But what Christ says is. But His point here is that's the power for husbands to nourish their wife. The other arguments are good. They're sound. They point out the folly of destroying one's wife or neglecting her. The utter folly of it. The wickedness of it. But where does the power of it come? Right here. It's Christ's nourishing of the church. We men do give excuses not to nourish our wife, and almost always it's the sinfulness of the wife, is it not? Surely there are men among us who when this Word of God comes, shrug, maybe even chuckle a little bit, says, you don't know my wife. You don't know her tongue. You don't know how stubborn she can be. You don't know how she treats me. And half the time, 
It's all baloney. This is a self-centered man who's overlooking all the love, all the tokens of love, and all the care of his wife. But let's suppose it's even true. Let's suppose. Let's suppose that that man has an unlovely wife, an unloving wife, a wife who even has hatred in her heart for her husband. The Word of God says, so what? So what, you husbands? You love your wife and you nourish her as Christ the church. What do we husbands need to see? What do we need to see? Where does that power come from? Well, you simply have to look at yourself. Look at you, husband. Look at yourself in the mirror. Look in your soul. And who are you? And who are you to Christ? Always such a lovable person. Walk before Christ with perfect obedience and submission to Him. Oh, no. We're rebels. We're sinners against Him. Fornicators. That's what the church is. That's what the church is by nature. And what is the cherishing and the nourishing of the church? For that exact woman. You see, that's all we need to do. And when we give our excuses for not loving our wife and give our excuses for not nourishing her, all of which point to the wife, then all that shows is we don't know the first thing about our own salvation. And that's what we need to see. That's what we need to believe. And that is the power of a godly husband to nourish his wife. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, our God and Father in heaven, forgive the sins of us husbands neglecting or abusing and destroying our wives. Forgive our sin, O Lord, of selfishness and pride, wherein we behave only as ourself in the marriage and not as one. Even more so, O Lord, sanctify us by the power of that great giving of Thyself that's found in the cross. Help us to see our own unworthiness and sinfulness, and yet Thy love which gave Thyself to nourish us. And help us so to live with our wives. In Jesus' name, Amen.